After an uneven time with Batman, it felt good to move on. Our next step was with the Challengers of the Unknown, those four daredevils living on borrowed time. Hopefully it'd be a nice change of pace. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. So, we are we are now alphabetically continuing on to the Challengers of the Unknown. And I gotta say, after reading what we read of Batman for about two years worth of, of comics, the exact same kinds of plots applied to a different team with a different genre applied to them mm -hmm. matters yep context theme motifs matter because the quality of writing for these is not any better or worse in fact i would say it is worse than all the john broom stories of batman but better than any of the other like lower tier ones that we read they're not amazing they're nothing special However, they are more enjoyable because they make more sense. And they fit within the genre of comic that Challengers of the Unknown are. Because I wouldn't classify these as superhero comics. Yes, I agree. These are adventure comics. These are science fiction comics. Like, Adam Strange rides the line very, very hard with superhero comics. Um, he's close. Because it's a singular individual fighting monsters, saving the day, being effectively a superhero. But he doesn't have powers, and he doesn't... Like, he doesn't stop crime, he stops catastrophe. He's... I would not classify Flash Gordon as a superhero either. Adam Strange is closer to Flash Gordon than he is Superman. He's just a dude that happens to be doing stuff in the same universe as Superman. Which I think is a further conversation about, like, what is the difference between Green Arrow and Adam Strange? Is it a secret identity? Is the, is the dividing line a secret identity? Is the dividing line the stuff you handle? Because the Hawks deal with the exact same stuff that Adam Strange deals with, but they have costumes, technically, which are uniforms, and their identities are not secret on Thanagar, but they are secret in, on Earth. So... Is it is a secret identity, you know, integral to this? But then you look at characters like Iron Man and the Fantastic Four, and you're like, eh, they don't really have secret identities. Everybody knows who they are. They just happen to do costumed adventurer things. So I feel like there's this weird gray area thematically that Adam Strange fits, and the challenges of the un of the unknown are also because they're kind of like the Fantastic Four, where aside from not having powers, they do the exact same things. Yeah, and so. It is fascinating to see action hero or costumed adventurer characters versus Batman, a superhero, doing costumed adventurer things. Like, there's almost a mundanity to Batman doing it, and when the Challengers of the Unknown do it, it's cool. Yeah. it. I agree with what you're saying. I don't have a ton to contribute there because it's an angle that I hadn't really considered too much. The one bit that I found, that I did notice uh, in my bits of research that sort of ties in with this, it's not 
in the like adventure hero vein per se the bit that i'm about to say but it is in the not superhero not not that modus operandi section the so the editor for all of these is murray boltonoff uh who created the doom patrol revived metamorpho all that stuff but and so at this point he was doing some of that he was doing doom patrol stuff and challengers he was also editing the bob hope and jerry lewis comics of the time Hmm. And just, like, looking through his stuff, like, the first, like, classic superhero stuff that I see him doing, like, in the mid-60s is Superboy in starting in, like, 68. So, I I almost wonder if we see a little bit of the, at least not, at least not in the mold of superheroes. Maybe, maybe that's the thing. These are stories that don't feel like they are written from a place of what can we what superhero story can we tell it's what adventure what what can we do that is of a different genre even though superhero comics aren't a genre right because you you put you put secret identities on these guys you put masks on them suddenly there's an air of mystery mis- like well what do you do this way if the justice league dealt with these problems they'd be justice league cards comics mm-hmm. they'd be superhero problems the fact that the challengers are dealing with it make them different. And maybe that's the, hmm, there, there's an analogy that I'm trying to draw and I can't quite grasp at for the right words, but it's that the things that are the elements that you introduce into a story that you make part of the status quo shape the kind of story that you will have. If you, if we had secret identity stories, we wouldn't have or if we had secret identities, we wouldn't have these stories anymore. We mm-hmm. would have, well, at least some of the time, stories about the secret identity. You introduce Robin, you have stories about uh, the young ward being feeling like he's betrayed by his uh, father figure or vice versa. That by <laughs> by introducing a thing, you change the kind the way you go about it. I don't know. Some, something in there. Well, no, I think I think there's there's an aspect there that you're you're on to. Um, like, as if you look at X Men, like early early X Men, or even Doom Patrol for our our listeners who are familiar with Doom Patrol because they've listened to our podcast. Having secret identities for some of them, or having an aspect of otherness, a secondary mm-hmm. layer to the character, adds for drama, be it. Negative man trying to figure out how to rid himself of his powers. Robot man trying to figure out how to become a man again. Um, Elastigirl, uh, Rita, trying to figure out how to return to her life as a movie star. There is an aspect there that is, okay, I also superhero, but then there's other, there's other aspects of this to me. There's other parts of this to me. The challenges of the unknown are like Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. They are the same thing. There is no difference between Indiana Jones when he is at the school teaching and Indiana Jones when he's shooting Nazis. They are the same person. There is no alternate layer to that. They are the same human being. The challengers are Ace, Red, Rocky, and Professor Haley 24-7. There is nothing more to them other than who they are. Now, that's not to say that they aren't interesting. And you can make interesting, nuanced versions of those characters... But there is a different aspect about them that does not make them superheroes because they are just guys doing stuff versus Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I had to protect my family because if my villains found out who I was, they'd be in danger. 
And I also hate this because my secret identity keeps getting in the way of my, my social life. Being the superhero affects Peter Parker. Peter Parker and Spider-Man are two different individuals that happen to coexist within the same person. And that conversation about which of them is more the person than the other is part of a superhero's mystique. Batman and uh, Bruce Wayne, Superman and Clark Kent, uh, Wonder Woman and Diana Prince. There's an aspect there where it's like, ah, a superhero is, yes, on the tin, just someone who has superpowers and does things. But there's also the level of the secret identity the duality of what it means to be this hero and the person, and that there's two individuals who are not wholly one at the same time because they are who they are when they're Superman is not who is not Clark Kent. There's an aspect of, of performative nature that is Clark Kent that is not all of Kal-El or not all of Superman. And with the Challengers, these guys are just dudes. Just dudes doing stuff. And they're exciting. And they're interesting, and the stuff that they do is is helpful, and they are heroics, but not all the time are they heroics. These are the jobs that if Superman did them, we'd be like, "Why are you doing this?" Yeah, call the challengers. Like let these let those guys handle it. Like the challengers deal with odd jobs. You know, there's a there's a good 50-50 chance that the job that they do is not saving anyone. It's just, oops, something happened. Let's go deal with it. They are doing the kinds of jobs that every once in a while Aquaman does and we comment on how weird it is. Right. Yeah, like these are these are email jobs that Aquaman gets at the library. Um it, it why like why are you doing this? Like don't you have a tsunami to stop or, you know, a sea monster to prevent from destroying an oil rig or maybe let the oil rig be destroyed, who knows. Um this is like as as you'll see when we go into these these stories, it's kind of like what a weird thing to call the Challengers of the Unknown for. But also, what else are they doing? What else are these guys doing? Other than these things. <laughs> like, they don't have patrol. They don't have a city really to call their own. They're just guys for hire. They're contractors. At the very, at the very end of the day, they're, they're hiring themselves out for adventure. Because they believe it's what they should do with the borrowed time that they are living on. Not from any sort of profound desire to help people or a sense of justice or a sense of right and wrong, which they certainly have. But that doesn't motivate them. This, a lot of what the challengers do is, well, shit, why not? <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of why I don't think they're superheroes. They're just guys. There's, there's another bit. In what you said earlier, that I want to mirror back with a little bit of little bit of spin on it. There are no inherent contradictions within the challengers. In in the Spider-Man example, yes, there are there are fault lines between Spider-Man and Peter Parker that a story will exploit. Of hey, are you like? Hey, are you gonna? What are you gonna do about J. Jonah Jameson talking trash about Spider Man? What are you gonna do when Aunt May thinks negatively of Spider of Spider Man? And we do not have that. The closest thing that we have is the established fault lines that aren't even really fault lines of people like Josh and each other within the group. They're just—it's not so much that they're one-dimensional, although they kind of are. Yeah, but it's that there are no 
fault lines and paradoxes about the characters. There are no contradictions inherent in the character, which means that everything is coming from outside. At most, you have characters being miffed at each other, but the fault lines aren't deep, in part yeah. because the attachments aren't super deep either, I guess. That's an interesting point. None of these char- these characters are like best buds, but it's not like a father figure. We don't have that. There's no blood brother yeah. thing. There's no twins. Huh. They're really close co-workers. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. You know, and, and as weird as it sounds, it's kind of the Justice League. <laughs> we really don't have any tight bonds in the Justice League beyond we all work together. You know, save for mm-hmm. maybe Superman and Batman. Yeah. No one's really tight, you know? And so it's a very interesting, like, I think the thing that makes Adam Strange more a superhero to me is his sense of duty to protect ran mm-hmm. he is looking for things to do to protect his home because he loves it the challengers are are largely reactive if nothing came their way they'd probably be doing nothing and again i think i think that kind of sits with with what you're saying they're kind of surface level characters and that's not bad because you can certainly have interesting stories with characters who are not terribly complex. But the things that that are deep in their story is the lore as opposed to them. Mm-hmm. The most important thing about them is what happened to them to put them in this situation. Everything else is pretty inconsequential. I think you're you're absolutely right that they they wouldn't go out and do something. It, they would be if nothing came in their door, they would get anxious and like they would grouse about things. And they might email people like, "You got anything for right. us today?" But they're you're right. They're not doing patrol. It is we are going to complain about and nothing coming our way rather than okay, what do we do? What do we actually do? Huh. Right. And this isn't to say that like they're lazy and they don't care about people because they obviously do. Like there's an aspect to their thing, to their entire bit or shtick that is we like to help people. Uh, but it is also kind of like you kind of gave yourselves a very nebulous call to action. Yeah. You know, you really haven't been like, and we shall use our borrowed time to make sure that no one else is killed before it's their time. Like you've just kind of said, we're going to do shit. No well, DM uncarpeted. Yeah, like we've we've <laughs> we will carpe various DMs until we're done, and that's about it. Like, it, yeah. so much so that like there's a story here where Rocky quits. Like it's that little of a, of a driving force to them. Like some of them could just fucking quit if they wanted to. Like, there's nothing really keeping them or tying them to this. Not like Batman, who's like, I've sworn an oath. Or Superman, who's like, this is my city, and these are the people that I love. Or Wonder Woman is like, I I protect the planet. I mean, these guys could just quit if they wanted to. <laughs> if, if one of them ever got really into bowling, they would take Tuesday yeah. nights off. Yeah, like, they, these guys strike me as people who, if they had an intramural team, it would interfere with Challenger's work. Like <laughs> We're union. Um, yeah, I've called it. There's, there's four of us. You guys got it. Uh, but enough, enough uh, preamble. Yes, Joanne, I know. 
Um, we're going to jump into uh, issue number 36, March 1964 of Challengers of the Unknown. Remember, these guys have their own title. And for those of you who don't remember, because you haven't been listening to these via the playlist for Challengers of the Unknown, the Challengers are Red, Rocky, Professor Haley, and Ace, um, who are men who survive a horrific plane crash. And once they survive, they believe that they are all living on borrowed time. And so with that time, they have decided to challenge the unknown, whatever that means. Um, Ace is a hotshot pilot. Rocky is a strongman. Red is a daredevil at all. And Professor Haley is a Swiss Army scientist with a penchant for deep sea diving. That's the challenge of the, of the unknown. Uh, in issue number 36, the challengers follow a bad guy into a cave where Rocky falls into some very strangely, mysteriously colored liquid that causes him to grow and be controlled by radio signals by the bad guy. Um, this wears off eventually, um, but they have uh, for a while Rocky in inadvertently turning into a giant version of, of himself causing destruction and they have to deal with it. Um, second story in this issue, the challengers protect a movie set and a movie star from being sabotaged uh, via robot dinosaurs on the movie set uh, because the other actor, uh, her co-star, is jealous because he believes that she's moving on from their relationship to another relationship and he decides to sabotage the film. This is the kind of shit where I'm like, why did you guys get hired for this? Surely there was a, a security company that could be called for this. Or, you know what? This is an elongated man story. Ooh, yeah, yeah. This is a mystery. Well, this isn't a Challengers of the Unknown story. This is like, who's trying to kill the movie star? And the elongated man is there trying to sniff out the clues. That's the, mm. that's his whole shtick. Why are the Challengers here? They're just really expensive, overly qualified bodyguards. Like, this seems completely out of left field, but also, like, is the rent on Mount Challenger or Challenger Mountain, like, really high that you have to take jobs like this? Like, what... What is the purpose? Who call, Did they call you going like challengers? Someone's trying to kill a movie star. Please come here and figure it out. None of them are particularly like incredible detectives. It's not even in the byline for any of these guys. It's just we happen to be around and have seen some shit. Maybe we'll figure out what's going on. Okay. <laughs> like, of all the people to call. Of all the people to call. I would have called Detective Chimp first. Like, come on. <laughs> like... Like, seriously, there's so many characters you could have called in before the Challengers of the Unknown. So, did, did he catch who wrote this one? No. It's Bill Finger. Bill Finger can't help but write Batman plots because he's forever bitter about not being credited with creating Batman. Yeah. And to, and to, his, yeah. to his point... Yeah, <laughs> much much like Jack Kirby, it's it's a reverse it's a reverse Jack Kirby. The artist took all the credit instead of the instead of the writer. Yeah. Um, it's just a it's a pain in the ass here. Um, but yeah, this is such a weird story and just one of those like, why did you call these people? Yeah, <laughs> this feels this feels like a waste of money. Surely one individual who's a really good detective would have been a cheaper investment. Um, Challengers number 37, May 1964. A vagrant finds future tech that allows him to affect the physical dimensions that are perceived by humans. He refers to himself as Mr. D, Mr. Dimension. 
And what he ends up doing is like flattening banks out and taking them with him and then like regrowing them so he can get into the vault later or turning police officers into like ribbon people that can't catch him. Um, and aging the challengers up so that they might die oh, yeah. in their attempts to stop him. <laughs> and the future tech has found because some dummy time travelers aren't paying attention to their time machine and a vagrant finds it and just like, yeah, oh, this stuff is cool. And the, and the future people are like, hey, we're really sorry about this. You can, you can what use if our they, stuff to find this guy. <laughs> what if the aliens in Roadside Picnic came back? <laughs> right. It's What if the aliens were dumber than us when we time travel? Uh <laughs> So the second story is the challengers go against uh, a pair of robots that are supposedly sent from an alien race um, that they're tipped off to by a scientist. They try to fight these robots. And over the course of the story, the challengers are picked off one by one. They're killed. And as the last challenger is fighting uh, these robots, realizing that the scientist is behind it, the other challengers appear and we realize that it's all been a ruse and the challengers have either faked their own deaths or were mistaken about the other challengers dying. And they find that the scientist who put them onto this is also a robot created by a real scientist who recently, very recently, so recently, in fact, that he had a heart attack immediately after sending them off on this mission uh, and was about to use the ensuing robotic confusion to commit a bunch of crimes, but had a heart attack. So the story is just a cul-de-sac. <laughs> it just goes nowhere there's no sense of justice served nobody's dead nothing has changed they just beat up a bunch of robots and that was it uh the challengers are called in to fight the robots because the guy's like ah oh, you have to make first contact with these aliens and no one will listen to me to talk to these aliens and i'm like that's maybe a challenger's job yeah sure you know meeting aliens they've been to space all right uh, also, distinctly missing from all these stories is two things. One, the orange flying saucer. I miss the Challenger mode of transportation. They've gone through multiple modes of transportation, namely the Challenger's jet, but I really like that orange flying saucer that they initially had for, for several issues. That's right. Um, and June. Where's yeah. June? Huh. June, the fifth Challenger. The, at first an honorary member and then a full member after being on so many adventures with them. Where the hell is the only girl on the team? What happened? Like, she was in... She was in issue 35 this whole year. Oh. We're just sans June. I don't know what's going on here. It's really bothering me. Uh, Challengers number 38, July 1964. Challengers try to stop a bad guy that has uh, run afoul of some indigenous people um, in a tropical area. And while doing so, has turned into a giant goop monster. <sighs> I don't know if you are listening to these chronologically or you're hopping by playlists, but the last episode we talked about how the Batman stories were not really having a lot of people of color in them. And yep. I, you know what? I'm starting to feel like I miss not having a lot of that in here so that they didn't make these really racist depictions of people of color. I'd rather they didn't do anything so that they don't actually insult anyone and make ridiculously awful caricatures than this. Which is a weird statement to say. Usually I am very for inclusion and very for, you know, trying to show representation in comics, but if you're going to suck at it, don't do anything. Like, don't, don't, don't make it worse by trying to include, you know? And it's, it's weird because there are things in here that are a little nuanced, I guess. Like, on the one hand, yes, this is 
absolutely like this is a character who is speaking in a little bit broken english has like very stereotypically fucked up teeth uh because hey dentistry is not a thing in societies that don't have a strong industrial base all that makes perfect sense uh and you all but it's wildly stereotypical and then you also have things like uh he's on the one hand there is the irrational fear of the unknown uh we don't go to that cursed area but it turns out there's some there is actually something going on there there's some shit in the ground there that makes it a bad place to be so it's that weird mix and then just out of nowhere the very last i think it's the very last like word bubble of the entire thing gives him this line that goes so hard it should be like a it should be a drill tweet paired with something about like animals and zoos the line is it is best that way when men can make their own light why should they live in fear of darkness like this is <laughs> what if drill was martin luther <laughs> oh man drill tweets the end all be all for the internet yeah <laughs> we peaked at drill tweets we could have stopped the internet there yeah uh second story in this <laughs> issue number 38 not it doesn't really get any better than drill no tweets, honestly. it doesn't uh the challengers encountered nazis and japanese soldiers hiding out on an island this is a, a trope that we've seen a number of times where there's some people who are like oh the war is not over i was not told that the war is over i am still fighting the war except this time they know the war is over and they're trying to restart it uh-oh we flipped the script not really um, the Nazi and multiple Japanese soldiers are trying to use an experimental aircraft to launch an attack on everyone else, and the challengers happen to stumble upon this, and they stop them, because obviously, these aren't two-parter stories, folks. There's, there's no plot lines that go beyond one issue. Let's, let's be real here. Uh, challengers number 39, September 1964. The challengers, um, sans June this time, because June was with them the first time they went and saw Madame Zadam. Z-A-D-D-U-M. Um, Madame Zadum, or Zadum, um, is a fortune teller who, in the previous time she showed up, showed the challengers what their children would look like, and that was kind of when it was revealed that, like, Ace would marry June and have a child. Which was very like, oh, we're just going to straight up say that and not leave it as a will-they-won't-they they sort of a situation. Um, but this is the only this is the only mention of June. Is she shows up in this fortune telling in the future storyline where we see the challenger's kids are um, plagued by a challenger's villain who uses a de-aging formula to make himself young again and then plans to use it on the challengers to de-age them so much that they're children and that they're easy to defeat and kill. That's pretty evil, killing children. Um... He mistakes the potion for working because he sees the challenger's kids and thinks that the challenger's kids are them. Sounds good. And then gets double teamed by the challenger's kids and the challengers and gets the crap kicked out of him. Um, what's really funny is that Rocky's child is a is a uh, is femme is a, is a, is a girl, and this guy apparently can't tell the difference between a boy and a girl. <laughs> you know, I didn't which would have been the dead one. giveaway. I feel like I didn't think about when reading it, but as soon as like you were going through the DH, you were like, wait. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it just, you would think that, like, he maybe would have picked up on, like, maybe those aren't the challengers, because I didn't turn one of them into a girl. Um, which, but, you know, no one consulted us in writing the story. Um, fun, fun, weird sort of fact here. Uh, Rocky, the big strong man, is a r ridiculously overly doting father. 
And uh, I something that is coming out in all these issues as we continue on, Rocky is very, like, hip. Yeah. <laughs> like, very, like, kind of beatnik hip, like, using language like daddy-o and, like, get hip to this or, like, you know, these cats are going to get put on ice kind of a thing. Like, he's very 1960s. The absolute worst character for me to pick this. I would have picked Rock. I would have picked Red. Mm-hmm. I would have picked the youngest member of the team. The Daredevil would have been the hip guy, but no, it's the big burly strong man, and it is endlessly funny to me that he is constantly this dude. It's such a subversion of the trope. And I do kind of wonder. I would love to know the politics of the creative team because Rocky is also the lunkhead of the team. And I wonder whether, like, the, oh, like, whether they are more interested in associating 60s counterculture with being dumb rather than, like, femininity or just being less uh, burly man-man, which is a a different route they can go if they wanted wanted to skewer uh 60s counterculture but also maybe maybe they don't want to because hey this is the time where the ads are starting to use what we think like beatnik slang in in its lightest form something something that i many years later can actually recognize and be like oh okay i get that i don't need to be super Ah, cool marketing (laughs) yeah um but yeah it is it's just i also wonder because at this time fantastic four is happening yeah and kirby's doing that how much of this is them trying to not be Fantastic Four? That's a good question. By making Red Johnny Storm and making him the hip one and making Rocky the Ben Grimm of the group the hip one. Uh, but who knows? Um, the Shadow knows. Uh, that's an old reference. Uh, but yeah, bottom line, Rocky is the only one with a lot of character on this team. Speaking of Rocky, the second story in issue number 39, Rocky is zapped by a machine that gives another human being the power and thinking ability of a giant computer, which, um, look, I'm not here to disparage 60s technology. It was very important, powerful, and really impressive. The amount of computers and size of computers that launched a rocket to the moon in the 60s and 70s is as powerful, if not less powerful, than your phone currently, right now. So the idea that Rocky has about the intelligence of a Nokia cell phone <laughs> is really funny to me. <laughs> just, his head just flips open. Yeah, his, his brain power is that of an old brick Nokia. It's got uh, battery power probably, that lasts for years. Oh, yeah. Like, that thing ain't breaking. Um, But Rocky is zapped and has, like, we've seen this story in Flash and in uh, Adam Strange where he suddenly gets really smart and is a big piece of shit to everybody around him because that's some subversive intelligentsia or evil uh, commentary um, that we don't want to talk about because it's like, why does everybody suddenly become a dick when they're smart? Okay. Um, How do multiple writers do that exact same trope? Is that editorial fiat, or is that a genuine sentiment in the 60s that smart people are mean? We'll never know. Um, but Rocky then sacrifices his intelligence to stop a bad guy um, by you know sticking around to see a plan through, and the explosion knocks the smarts out of him, and he's Rocky once again. 
Because that's every story like that is they lose their their intelligence after one round. One before we move on from this story, one one thing that actually two things I want to call out because they're both relatively timely. Uh, the first is it might also just be if default is character is good guy and we invert one characteristic from dumb to smart then maybe we also invert one characteristic from good to cruel maybe Hmm. it's just that that's possible no i you know i think that is a fair assessment and that is an easily that is an easily understandable and likely more believable um concept of just like how do we invert this character on their head if if they're dumb however adam strange isn't dumb that's true Hmm. neither is the flash yeah it's a good point (laughs) so yes with rocky i can see that being the one-to-one comparison dumb and good becomes smart and mean is absolutely 100 percent an easy um you know negative to positive polarization um or positive to negative polarization however done with characters that are swiss army scientists and usually carrying individuals with their intelligence speaks to a weirder thing to me that like the more smart you get the more evil you become maybe it's a commentary on like the uber intelligent have less scruples and less humanity i don't know it's the 60s the atomic bomb has happened who knows what's going on operation paperclip the fact that all of the uh the for those who don't know the american space program was powered by nazi scientists yeah a lot of nazis in america at this time so it's i don't know it's just something i've noticed and picked up on in the last few times we've done this It's like why does everybody who when they get intelligent become super mean Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to happen but it is also something we see all the time in cartoons and all sorts of stuff it's just a weird weird trend yeah um i guess it's it's also interesting because I genuinely don't know the history of portrayals of specifically autism and Asperger's in media because it's, I know there is a, there is a stereotype of like the Sheldon type character, uh, characters who are sure. very explicitly typed as, oh, autistic or character characteristics associated with people who are autistic. Uh, I don't know. And like, thankfully, portrayals are becoming more nuanced. That is, there are fewer assumptions being made. All that, all that good stuff getting better now. But like, that was certainly a thing for a long chunk of time. Uh, Sherlock, boom. Uh, but I don't. Yeah. Know, I genuinely don't know if that was a trope at this time, or if maybe it was just generically lumped in, like things that we might now think of as autistic characteristics or maybe they're just lumped in with general oh like what you say the the super scientific and intelligent just are less moral and less concerned with moral mortal affairs i don't know that's genuinely curious thing to think about um i think there's a there's a conversation to be had about like becoming more like a machine or more like a computer makes you less human and your humanity is gone like you can see that in spock versus mccoy mm, in star trek good call. like there's a level of like the overly logical character is less has less humanity and is perceived to be cruel because they're being more logical. I think that would be what happens with Sheldon in Big Bang Theory is he's not overtly mean. He's just less socially literate. 
because Sheldon genuinely tries to help his friends. Yes, I have seen The Big Bang Theory. I've actually seen several seasons of it. It's not, yeah, it's the show you think it is. Um, but Sheldon is not an overtly cruel character. He just yes, doesn't understand true. social graces. Um, he does genuinely try to help his friends. I think that is a more nuanced conversation about Asperger's and possibly social development issues than this but i do i do see where you're going with like house and and sherlock yeah, Holmes. house is a much you better know, example good call you know and i think but i i agree with you that like at a certain point there is or for those who've recently seen the the, the recent crop of marvel films dr strange mm-hmm. or tony stark yeah there is a level at which intelligence starts to get rid of humanity and turns to cruelness and a weird sort of conversation about like, ah, yes, the intelligentsia are mean that I feel is strange that like very rarely is shown to not be the case. Like with Jane Foster or mm-hmm. uh, Bruce Banner, you know, like certainly there are nice people who are smart, but also why are the most successful ones? Oh, wait, the most successful ones are the meanest. And it's a strange, it's a strange conversation about how we view intelligence. Yeah. But like, you can't be that smart without being a dick for some reason. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, it's a common thing to, to watch out for people. With regards to the like Nokia cell phones and the limited processing power of old, old computers, I highly encourage if you can find like a computer museum near you or something that has some old stuff where they measure the processing power and you can see it like on the motherboard in bits instead of bytes. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's wild. Uh, my, it is fascinating. My grandpa and my uncle were involved in early Silicon Valley uh, computer stuff. My grandpa had, uh, my grandparents had like a, a personal computer store for a while. I mean, that was probably like in the 80s, but at his uh, funeral at, at, at his memorial service is actually the right word for it. We saw like a computer like opened up and I could look and I counted. It's like, Oh, there's 16 there. That's what's going on. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is a fascinating aspect of how technology has jumped leaps and bounds in only like 40 years conceptually. It's worth, it's worth yeah. paying attention to culturally. Uh, Challengers number 40, November, December, 1964. This is going to be the last issue that we talk about. Uh, the Challengers encounter a criminal who uses, or criminals who use an air-to-sea vehicle to commit crimes, and they all use specific gadgets to try and stop these criminals. Um, Ace uses a jetpack. Red has a lightning suit, like a suit that just shoots lightning out of its chest. Okay. Um, Professor Haley has some diving equipment that he's trying out in Rocky Strengths things. He strongs at stuff. I don't know. It's it's kind of nebulous. It feels like they kind of lost their steam at Red and Rocky about like what they do and how this can be equated to, to like some sort of technology. But they they win. They stop the guys who have this like jet powered submarine that flies in the air and then also dives underwater. It's it's cool, but also it's like you didn't think this through too much, did you? <laughs> I don't know why Red the Daredevil has a lightning suit. Okay. The second story, ah, Multiple Man. Everybody remembers Multiple Man. The guy, every time he dies, he gets a new power. Multiple Man's back, and he has literally bugged Mount Challenger, or Challenger Mountain, uh, by putting robotic insects in it to give him information about what is going on inside of Challenger Mountain, because he hears that the Challengers are dealing with a new project. Uh, Project M.E. 
matter to energy. And he wants to know what it is. So he also gets some new bug themed powers because he's multiple man. And he tries to take Project ME from the Challengers. And the Project uh, ME matter to energy is converting living things to pictures that act as if they are the living thing. So they can like effectively take a picture of a condor and then magnify it a hundred times. And it's a giant condor. It's an interesting thing that professor Haley is working on. And this is kind of the technology that they use to defeat multiple man. Um, this is the thing I'm talking about. Like if nobody calls them, what are they doing? Are they just making super weapons? What's, what do they do all day at challenger mountain? Uh, this is also one, a really cool uh, x-ray sort of view onto what Challenger Mountain looks like. We get to see like how it's sort of stratified. We're getting a lot of these. Batman, Challengers, seeing a lot of like the inner workings of their sanctums for presumably the fact that people want to see what these are. It's been like 36 issues. What's going on in there? You know, and that's I thought that was kind of neat. Um, but that is the final story that we're, we're dealing with. Uh, this episode for the challengers and like i said we, we talked a lot about this at the very beginning these guys are these stories are not bad these guys mm. are not bad characters these are just kind of mundane but at least they're within the theme and they fit the motif of these characters if these were any other characters like superman batman aquaman the flash we'd be like why are you doing some of this stuff why why is this your job? Why isn't this like literally I think we've said in other episodes or other characters, call the challengers, let them handle this. You know, just call those guys. They'll do anything. And so it's just a very it's a very fun sort of look at Huh. Okay, these do work with the right characters. The experience that I had was I, I challenged myself, I'm gonna start the reading early, like very shortly after uh after we did the recording. I think I might have even like the next day. And you know what? I sat down and I started reading. And I was like, cool. I read two issues. I feel proud of myself. I did the thing. I kind of want to read more. And I did. <laughs> it's like, I think I got through another whole issue. And it was very much like I gave myself permission to stop. And no, nah, it was yeah. I had fun. <laughs> they're, they're action B movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're they're not bad. They're not they're not offensively boring. They're just they're good. They're popcorn. These are these are very simple stories that have very obvious conclusions, but are not wasting space. They have a direction. They have momentum. They go from point to point, and they end, mm-hmm. and that's it. They don't ask you to care more about this than the last story. They're just like, and then this happened. Then this happened. It's like reading newspaper articles, you know. Like, it's, it's informative, and you get the whole story, and that's about it, and then you read the next one. I will say the most noticeable thing about this series of issues is Rocky has the most characterization out of everybody. Yes. And a lot of shit happens to Rocky. Like, body horror. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> like, Rocky has stuff happen to him. He gets a giant head from the brain thing. He turns into a giant person. There's, you know, all sorts of instances where he's, like, beat up or, like, gets ambushed because he's the strong guy. It's very strange. Rocky has the most characterization and the most hard times out of everybody. And you would think 
because we've seen it before where there was some contention between him and Red or like Ace had more characterization because, well, frankly, Ace's characterization was he was dating June. And Professor is around. Like the Professor isn't really anything other than if we have a science problem, he says science stuff. And it's it's interesting. Like you can tell there's ideas. You can tell there's there's pitches to do something with these characters. They just never actually do any of it. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, all right. So personnel. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the people involved, but writers. We have basically alternating stuff from Arnold Drake and Ed Heron. We've seen some of Ed Heron's stuff. I don't remember if we've seen anything from Arnold Drake before. Uh, and one once or twice, I think. Okay. Sounds right. Uh, Bill Finger doing one story that we didn't really like. Pencils and inks were all by Bob Brown, and the editor was Murray Boltonoff. Uh, so, eh, no names that really stand out like crazily beyond uh, Ed Heron. We've encountered him pretty frequently in the past, but I, I'm i going to say something contentious. I like the art better than what Infantino did in the stuff we read recently because Infantino's stuff was technically absolutely better like no question but the line that I used last time of his it felt like him being a member of somebody else's band instead of getting to do his own thing like the art here is never great but i really like things like the uh the two-headed robots look cool the paper like the the thing that turns things into paper and just have like paper Mm -hmm. doll fighting and i think it's rocky realizing that he can like wrap around somebody it's like well i can't punch you but i can sure hold you in place (laughs) there are some really creative visual ideas Mm -hmm. displayed here that i think give these issues a higher grade than normal. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. The art is being utilized to show some really creative things. Hell, I liked the dinosaurs. Yeah. yeah. In the like the robot dinosaurs in the issue with the movie. You know, there there is something to be said, I think, about the art direction of the series. It's not it ain't Jack Kirby, but it ain't bad. Mm-hmm. They're trying. They may not be doing things as interesting as Infantino is doing in terms of set dressing and page layout and the quality of the art and the quality of how these people look, but by no means do these look bad. There's just a different style and a different skill set. I think these are, I think, I think you're right. I don't know if I like them better, but I don't disagree that they're, they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Number 38, the second story, the Japanese holdouts, just, Hey, a reminder not only is this a trope, this was a thing that was happening. Uh, the last, I think the last confirmed Japanese holdout who eventually surrendered uh, did so in 1974. Like, this was happening. Uh, to And an interesting thing that's worth remembering, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm cribbing this correctly from Dan Carlin's series uh, Supernova in the East. For some of the holdouts, the idea was that if anyone said that Japan's army had surrendered... 
then it was a lie and the war must still be going on because Japan wouldn't exist if they lost the war, that everyone would have gone down fighting. So the fact that Americans are saying, no, the war is over, Japan's, we're at peace with Japan, means the war must still be going on. And that's, I mean, that's not what we see here because that those we have a bunch of Japanese holdouts who have acknowledged that the war is over, let's kick it back up again. But um, an interesting thing to keep in mind when these stories come up. And the kids. I don't hate the kids. I enjoyed the kids story. And I hit on why I think one of the things that I think I like about it. It's it's not a like a lot of the time we get these either these like imaginary stories or like let's look at a possible future. Those kinds of things. Usually they are taking the same character and putting them, putting them into different status quos, different dynamics. Like, hey, what? How would Superman handle being a dad, being married, and having a couple like super babies, something like that? Or we get the, hey, all the different ages of Wonder Woman uh, and Hippolyta uh, together. Or we get, hey, like Super Baby interacts with the world, or uh, Wonder Baby interacts, Wonder Tot, that's right, Wonder Tot, uh, exists in the universe in a very different way than Wonder uh, Wonder Girl or Wonder Woman. Uh, we don't, that isn't what we have here. We have, hey, what if we take fundamentally the same characters, put a little bit of a different spin on them, and then they ha- face a similar kind of situation. Uh, the analogy that came to mind to me was, I mean, it's a skin from like a MOBA. It's the same character. The vibes are often the same, but more than a palette swap, but a little bit different. Uh, like, yeah, you get the... It's Link and Toon Link in Smash Brothers. Bingo. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Good, good call. Yeah. (laughs) So the same character, just different vibes, different art styles, you know, and, and it works. I think you're right. Like, I didn't have a problem with the with the Challengers kids stories. One, I don't think they're overdone. Yeah. We've only seen two of these. I had to remember what this was, to be honest. I had to look back. I was like, did we actually do this? Oh, yeah, we did. Okay, 35. But I think they they don't discredit the characters. They don't introduce problems with the narrative. They don't introduce anything with the timeline other than at some point, these guys get old and they have kids. That's about it. Like the guy, the, the challengers don't change. The only real status quo change is Ace and June are, the, are, are married and have children. Um, I don't know. I don't, like to me, I think the, the term Muppet babies came to mind. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was like, yeah, it's just, it's just Muppet babies, challengers. You know, and it works because because they're effective. It's not about that they're kids. It's not about oh my god, we have kids and look how much this ruins our life. Well, we see those Superman stories where it's like Lois imagines what it's like having a super son with Superman, and he's off saving the world, and the kid's a nightmare because he's Kryptonian and she doesn't know how to handle it, and how terrible this would be. It'd be like oh yeah, what kind of crap do our kids get up to? It's kind of like those Adam Strange stories about like the the descendant of Adam Strange who That's encounters right. the Space Ranger. Oh, I forgot it's like, yeah, about this is just, that. Yeah. It's additive. Mm-hmm. It's extra lore. It's it's it, it, you know it's it's nothing wrong. It's just oh yeah, this happens in the future. Cool. That's neat. It's and it yeah I don't know I I enjoyed it too. Nice. 
That about does it for me. Shall we pivot into recommendations? Sure. Uh, I uh, so I recently got this, um, and I'm I'm going to recommend it because the gameplay is fun. Your mileage may vary on the story and the narrative. Uh, Midnight Suns. This mm-hmm. is the Marvel game that came out. I want to say this month, made by the development team that made XCOM. And it is a card battler with XCOM turn-based strategy and Marvel heroes. I was bothered by how quippy every character is. But I am enjoying the gameplay. I am taking my time. I am learning everybody's abilities. I'm enjoying using everybody. But also, the more I've been playing it, the more I'm enjoying befriending all the characters. They give you like a self-insert NPC to play as. Um, I'm enjoying a lot of the like, oh yeah, how would I interact if this character said this? Or helping these characters kind of with this situation. There is some, there is fun to it. Just initially, it was way too quippy for me. And once I got past that, I started to really enjoy it. So I, I would recommend checking it out. If, if you're kind of concerned, get it on sale. That's fine. That's not a problem. Um, I also, I, I did recently finish Cyberpunk 2077 mm-hmm. recently. I really liked it. It kind of got squiffy uh, with some dialogue at the end that was like a little, that doesn't jive with how we've been talking but okay. Um, I found it very enjoyable. I liked a lot of the conversations that were had about like consciousness and identity and what is resistance and what is important and what is, what is personal. There's some really good conversations that make you think in that game. And I think the writing is actually very well done with a lot of the characters. Um, I think it's worth checking out. Um, if you have the ability to do so, please do. Um, CD Projekt Red needs all the help it can get. <laughs> uh, maybe if maybe if we give them enough money, they'll be able to postpone some of their games so they don't have to crunch. Um, but it's a good game. I can see why a lot of people really enjoy it, and I I was happy with having played through. I'm going to do another playthrough with some different backstories and some different decisions because I I enjoyed it. On my end, I think I'm going to recommend Hello from the Magic Tavern, which is a podcast. Uh, It is uh, episodic in the, like, interview of the week style. Uh, The shtick is human falls through a portal to the magical land of Foon outside of a burger. Like, the portal was in the parking lot of a Burger King. Uh, Can't get back through. The portal is very, very tiny, but there is just enough of a Wi-Fi signal still coming through that portal that he can upload a podcast every month, and there's a wizard who, lightning spell, keeps the battery charged, and it's just three (laughs) characters, like, and rotating guests, and loose plot lines going through. Uh, But it is a very drop in and out podcast it in the way that like welcome to night Vale is except having to pay even less attention like moment to moment within an episode and the thing that's, that's fun the, the thing is like i have been so used to like for me podcasts i i need to be able to follow conversations usually or it's like big like narrative stuff and you can't 
really do that when you're driving in a car with somebody if it's nice to have like a podcast going you really need to be able to like talk about something turn your attention to the podcast a little bit talk 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 like you got to be able to do that drop in and out and this is just the perfect balance of that so it's been really nice to have going on when like when <laughs> i was telling john uh before we recorded like did a lot of driving up to uh up to the east bay and uh I'm in the Bay Area of uh, California. Uh, fair bit of driving this week. And it was nice to have stuff that was like, we can put this on and we can talk. And it doesn't matter that both those things are happening like on and off, uh, switching between the two. And it works. So, and it is just very fun. It is very enjoyable. It is very improv-y. It is basically a, a, a bunch of improv performers coming on and having interesting bits that they bounce off of because you get characters coming in who have clearly like they've written down like an index cards worth of notes on this character who that is like the 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 guest of the week is playing as and then they just bounce off each other back and forth and it is very entertaining nice that sounds fun yeah well i think that will do it for us for this episode we're going to do some more challenges of the unknown next time uh yeah I'm, I'm excited to do more so hopefully it doesn't go downhill and hopefully we don't regret it um but i'm excited and uh thank you all for listening we will see you all next time dc detectives can be found on soundcloud and itunes to stay in the know check out our facebook twitter and instagram it was fun to be back with the challengers again Without true superhero costumes and without us having many expectations for their future, their adventures just hit differently than if they'd happened to Batman. We could just have fun with them. And looking back at some of the heroes we'd covered recently, it was a relief that we'd be with the Challengers for another round of stories. <laughs>